and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Liverpool gained Merseyside victory. Premier League referees in the mud. The Champions League returns, plus lots more. Is joining me today on the One Football Podcast as a special guest in one of our legendary One Football video producers, Jacob Dodd. Thanks for having me, Matt. What an introduction that is. Are you pleased with that? I'll take that. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Legend, absolutely. Legendary. Um, we'll kick things off with the Merseyside derby last night. Liverpool finally managed to, to get a win under their belts. The first win, uh, as we so feverently discussed yesterday, first win of the calendar year. Uh, that must just have felt good overall. A weird sensation for Liverpool fans, right? Yeah, it was a funny one. I don't think I've ever felt less confident going into a game against such a poor opponent. But, I mean, Liverpool's form this season, and in particular in 2023, has been so abysmal that I think Liverpool's main expectations from this game was just get through it hopefully with three points and I think it's just a real tangible sense of relief after that game I mean it's the first three points in the Premier League in 2023 Cody Gakpo scored his first goal for the club Mo Salah scored for the first time I think in seven six or seven games so I think it's just a really big sense of relief and we're just glad that we got through it without doing too much disrespect to Everton <laughs> which means I'm about to disrespect Everton. <laughs> is that like a real turning point in the season? Is that the statement victory? Or is it, you should be beating a poor Everton side at home. We're not out of the woods yet in regards to form. I mean, I think we'd all like to think that it's a turning point, but there have been so many false dawns to Liverpool <laughs> this season. I'm just really not confident that about that anymore. False and dawn. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, I think it's that thing where if you look at the table, and if, I mean, we are sitting ninth, and Everton are sitting, I think, in 18th. They're definitely mm. in the relegation zone at this point. It is a game that a club like Liverpool do need to be winning. So in that sense, it, it should be a routine victory. But just in the context of this season and the context of the last few weeks, I think, in a funny sort of sense, I think the pressure was more on Liverpool. Um, I mean, Everton managed to be Arsenal somehow 1-0 last week. Mm. And I think after that, we were all just dreading the return of Sean Dice to Anfield because he was the mastermind of um, beating Liverpool uh, with Burnley and stopping, I think it was 68-game unbeaten run at Anfield. So I think everyone was just dreading Dice ball and Liverpool's poor form coming into this game. It kind of seemed like the perfect storm and it really would have been a rock-bottom moment for Liverpool this season if we had lost that game but I think yeah just a palpable sense of relief and we're just happy that we've got through it and now I've just realized we've got Newcastle on the weekend so I'm already feeling awful about that as well. Is that is there a week of Newcastle then Real Madrid right and then Champions League? Yeah it's just it all just seemed a bit gloomy but now having beaten Everton I'm not feeling as gloomy about it I mean Newcastle aren't in the best run of form at the moment mm. either they've been drawing quite a few games they just scraped by against Bournemouth so in a strange kind of way, I am quietly confident that we could get a result against Newcastle. But then again, we've just been so consistently inconsistent this year that I don't, I don't know what to think at this point, to be honest. This is another full storm. That's that my new favourite phrase. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why I haven't heard it before. But yeah, you're right. It does make complete sense. Uh, you mentioned Cody Gakpo earlier as well. Has he really sort of impressed you with what you've seen? Like the goals haven't been there and you can easily point to stats, but do you think he has the tools to eventually kick on? Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's been really tricky for him because he's coming at such a difficult point in the season for Liverpool and during such a difficult season in general. Um, and I'm always slightly wary about buying players off the backs of World Cups. I think people point to his performance for the Netherlands during the World Cup um, and we're rightly saying how well he has played, but... I think coming to the Premier League and coming to such a big team like Liverpool, who are in, you could argue, 
maybe a slight crisis at the moment is it was always going to be difficult to bed in. And I think, especially with the Premier League, some players do just need a lot more time to hit the ground running. But I think from what I've seen of him attitude-wise, he's shown everything that a Liverpool player, and in particular a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool player, needs. It's just the 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 willingness and the ability to run all yeah. game. Um, and yeah, I think it's one of those things, if you look at the stats, perhaps he's not been one of Liverpool's best performers in the last few games, but I think the goal he scored yesterday against Everton will do him a world of good, especially confidence-wise. Um, and yeah, I think he's, he's definitely shown glimpses that he, he could be... Um, he could be a very important player for us. But like I said, I just think the context in which he's arrived at the club, it would never suit anybody, to be honest. So I think it's understandable that he's not really kicked on in his first few games. I think it's ridiculous we've been discussing it after six weeks. Yeah. I, honestly, what, whatever happened to a time where a player was allowed to just sort of come good, I guess, like and had to hit the ground running? It's obviously just, I don't know, it's the need for results when you get a new manager. It's the need for sort of, debut goals because you you know you've seen it with like top players it's easy to forget that not everyone is Messi or Ronaldo or, absolutely or just sort of a, an absolute machine absolutely and, and Cody Gakpo is only 23 years old and it's the first yeah, time exactly. he's played in the Premier League and he's come to one of the biggest clubs in the world and I think that's the problem with with young players when you come to one of the biggest clubs in the world in Liverpool is that the expectations are just so high and Liverpool fans and fans from around the world will compare you to world-class players. I mean, you've yeah. seen this at the start of the season with Darwin Nunes when people are just comparing him one-to-one -one with Erling Haaland, which I think is <laughs> egregious because they are not the same player and they are not at the same point in their careers. Um, so, yeah, I think with, with any player, with any new player, you just have to have a certain degree of patience. And I think especially with Liverpool, you've seen through Fabinho, Andy Robertson, that Jurgen Klopp does like to give players time to, to settle. And I think give them till the end of the season... Um, and then at the start of next season, hopefully he'll start to show glimpses of what he can do. Yeah, I was trying to think, apart from Salah, whose first season was ridiculous, I can't think of anyone who hit the ground running in such a ridiculous fashion. I mean, Fernando Torres rings the bell, but again, Fernando Torres is one of the uh, best true. players of his generation. So I think they're, they're very much the, the outliers. Yeah, the, exactly. They're rather, definitely the exception and not the rule. Rather than the norm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Gakpo looks brilliant. I really think he's got all the tools to, to, to be a top player. Well, he will or he won't. Obviously, we're, we are neglecting the slight point that Nunes cost a lot more than Gakpo. I get that. That's not his fault. Like, he doesn't... That was just what his club wanted, you know, wanted to make from him. And, you know, that's how much Liverpool deemed it worth. But maybe there's a bit less pressure because Gakpo was only, I say, only 40 million um, than Nunes. Yeah, that was a lot of money. Uh, anyway, as for the actual game... Is Pickford to blame for the first goal, for Mo, Mo Salah being able to pretty much just tap it into an empty net? I think you can definitely point the finger at Jordan Pickford's positioning. I mean, I, it's one of those things where it's, it's, he, he's anticipated the ball going to, um, uh, I think it was Cody Gakpo at the far yeah, post. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's just, he's, just, he's just misjudged it. And it's one of those things where I think, um, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Jordan Pickford, Personally, I don't think he's England's number one. I think um, I think Ramsdale is by far and away England's best goalkeeper. But I think you, you can point the finger and say his, his positioning wasn't great for that. But then again, it's a split second decision. He has to make a call, and he's unfortunately guessed wrong at this point. I, yeah. I I feel like if if it goes through to Gakpo and Pickford gets there, then he's applauded for brilliant anticipation. 
Exactly. Right? It's, it, it's yeah. just one of those things. If it, if it comes off, great. If not, then you end up looking like a, a bit of a it muppet. It does but, look you ridiculous, know. though. I saw, which is always very harsh. It always happens with VAR, where people freeze frame things. Yeah. I want to see it like on Twitter. And you saw the freeze frame of when Salah makes contact with the ball. And obviously, Pickford's like five yards to the left. It doesn't look great. Yeah, it just <laughs> looks so bad. Yeah, um, so bad. but just on that goal, I think what we should mainly be talking about is how what an amazing counter attack it was. It I was mean, ever, ever, I think it was 15 seconds from when Everton hit the post to when it went into the back of the net, and just the speed of which Darwin Nunes ran with the ball from from Liverpool's half. Mm. Um, into it was a one-two was with Salah. It was a one-two yeah. with Salah. Yeah, it was, it was, I think, one of the best counter attacks I've seen all season. It was fantastic. And well, I remember Mo Salah saying in the interview straight afterwards, saying with Darwin Nunes, he was like struggling to keep up. Like, Darwin Nunes running with the ball is faster than most defenders in the Premier League. Yeah. And it was just a brilliant move and a brilliant pass from Nunes as well, just to pick him out. I thought it was fantastic. I love when you watch the replay, if, if you look back at the highlights, just as they cross the halfway line, Andy Robertson's with him. Like, Robertson's there, and I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going absolutely hell for leather. Like, the fact that Robertson's like, just in case Salah and Gakpo don't make this, I'll be the hero. <laughs> mm. I think that's the first the first bit of space that Liverpool were offered in the entire game. Suddenly, Darwin Nunes has, like, 80 metres to yeah. run into. And it's just the one situation that Everton didn't want to get into. And unfortunately, it came off the back of them hitting the post. Like, if that goes in, it's completely different. Yeah, game. yeah, absolutely. But that is what Liverpool, I think, especially the forwards are built for. Like, they're absolute athletes. Like, when you look at Nunes... Nunez, Nunez and Gakpo's like physical profile. It's ridiculous. To be sort of six foot two quick fit athletes goes against everything. It's like they're the, they're the perfect sort of modern day Ronaldo mix of, you know, bringing the best of a winger and a big centre forward and just combining them. Absolutely. And it's something new for Liverpool as well. Because if you look at Liverpool's forwards over the last few years, they've not been that profile at all. So yeah, I think yeah, it really yeah. does add a certain... I really don't want to say another option, but I'm going to say it. It's, it's just like a, a big lad up front. It's something Liverpool haven't really had in the past. I'm trying to think of the last player. It's probably Andy but, Carroll. Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't get Andy Carroll sprinting 80 yards with the ball. Absolutely and, and, not. And, like it, it, it really is the perfect mix. I think it's something that clubs are absolutely sort of... Um, it, it's, it's on top of their like recruitment criteria, let's say. We're looking for new players. I remember, I remember Dortmund talking about it. Uh, was, was it Lars Ricken? Am I making that up? Was the scouting head of scouting at Dortmund or head of the youth? Um, and he he was talking about how they sort of profile young players, and he was mentioning that speed is absolutely a, a no brainer. Like they have to be quick. He's like players in this day and age, the style of football that teams play, they have to be quick. So you still get a variety of body types like you normally do in the world you normally do a football but all of them are quick so eventually mm-hmm. there's going to be big guys who are quick and yeah that's what you get with like I mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo is the first one that comes to mind that sort of did it but even now there's been a Holland effect in the last few years yeah. players seeing how Erling Holland has played for for Salzburg and Dortmund yeah. and now Manchester City that they thought you know what we quite like one of those as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are, you know, the new style of forward who can move at such speed on the counter attack. Marcus Rashford's filling that role as well for Man United. You know, he's he's by no means a small guy. Like he's quite slim. You know, he's not the. I wouldn't say he's as physically tough as the likes of Darwin or Haaland, but even so, it's absolutely crazy. And you know, I really I marvel at it from Liverpool's point of view because that attack could be absolutely lethal if they absolutely. get to do that more regularly. 
And it's um, just the, the pace that they have in, yeah. in, in Luis Diaz as well, who's just coming back from injury and who will hopefully be ready for mm. the, the away game for Real Madrid. And just on that, Diogo Jota's came back and made his first appearance uh, true, since October. Um, who else has come back? Uh, Bobby Firmino played his first game in a long, long time as well. Um, Liverpool have one game in hand, and I think if they win that, there'll be six points off the top four. So you're sounding very hopeful. Hopeful is the word. I've got no expectations because of how we've been, how consistently and consistent we've been this season. Yeah. But it suddenly looks a lot more plausible. Like if you told me Champions League football a week ago, I would have thought no mm. chance, absolutely yeah. not. But you never know. Uh, they're in the fight. Uh, a last little word on Everton. Can Sean Dyche read too much into this or is it a bit too harsh? Whereas he said he wouldn't get too high um, or words to that effect after Everton, after the Arsenal game. Um, it's probably best to not get too low after after a Liverpool defeat. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, from an outside perspective, looking into Everton, it's one of those things where the first two games that Sean Dyche had were against Arsenal and Liverpool. And he got... To be to be perfectly honest, I think he got pretty lucky in the first game. I mean, beef beating the, the league leaders one yeah. Nobody expected that. No one expected them to get anything out of the Liverpool game. So it's one of those things where I think you they were free hits, to be honest. They yeah. managed to get three points from two games, which I think is actually um, pretty impressive. So I think they'll I don't think they'll be too despondent and too hard on themselves. Obviously they don't want to win a dart they don't yeah. want to lose a derby, but you know, I think there there are more specific games they'll be highlighting as must win games. And I think it kind of it starts now, Everton's push to stay in the Premier League. I feel like one win every two is pretty good relegation avoiding form from their Absol- Absolutely. I mean in comparison to, to, to their um to their relegation rivals currently, I think they're probably in the best shape to stay up. So yeah. We'll True. Well, well, we spoke about the uh, the win over the league leaders last week, Arsenal Brentford. We're going to move on to now, um, and they didn't win again. Arsenal. It was a one-all draw, and I just have one question: How on earth have the officials cocked this one up? This <laughs> this is not a weekend that the referees will look back upon fondly for numerous reasons, including a stupid hands goal for Brighton at Crystal Palace, which was ruled out. But we're talking about Arsenal here, and the lines weren't drawn. That was the official excuse. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can't really um, explain it. it. It's human error, and I think that's kind of the crux of the problem um, of VAR, is that VAR was brought in to help eliminate, to a certain extent, human error. But the problem is um, the people using the technology, using VAR, are humans, and it's one of those things that you can never completely eradicate. Um, and I think that's just a fundamental thing that people have to live with in football, is that VAR, there will always be mistakes um, However, basic things like not drawing the lines. I, mean, I thought it, that was it, their whole... That not that number one on the list of to-dos for VAR? I, it, it must be... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I genuinely don't know what to say. Um, it, 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 is, it is pretty reprehensible that such a basic um, part of the process could be just not carried out. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I really have no idea. When I first read it, I thought it was a, just some, some joke on Twitter or something. But the fact that that actually was um, a problem... Um, yeah, it's just Vegas belief, really. Um, yeah. um, unbelievable. Like, to think that that could co- cost the title might be a bit strong for now, but certainly that makes a big difference, you know, especially heading into Wednesday night uh, against City, which we'll touch on in a minute. Are we just basically delaying the point of human error, though, by adding in VAR? Because if the referee gets it wrong, you're like, right, we're going to have more referees with all this technology. And if they get it wrong, we're going to have, you know, it's kind of that who referees the referees conundrum where you're just going to keep on going further, further back to more people getting involved. And at the end of the day, there's still going to be human error. Does, 
AI refereeing have a future? Oh God, <laughs> potentially, who knows? I mean, I think the, the I think like I said, like the problem with VAR there, there will always be human error, and I think that's something that people need to to accept. Um, and I think that there's a, there's a real lack of empathy and understanding for for referees now that VAR has been brought in. Because I mean, before VAR, you could say, well, he's only had one look at it. You know yeah. what? You miss some sometimes. But the problem with VAR now is that you can look at it as many times as you like, and when you still make mistakes having had 100 looks at it from five different camera angles in slow motion, I think people have less empathy for people making wrong decisions, even though everybody does make, like, you can't get 100% of the decisions right. But people have the expectation that yeah. decisions will be 99.9% correct, which they won't be. That's the problem. But that's the thing. You can you can feel empathetic with a referee, but a guy who's got, what is it, like 17 screens or something. And there's not even one person. It's a team of them. Yeah. It's a team of them in Stockley Park. And I just, that is, yeah, reprehensible I think it's, is the word. I think it's also the lack of transparency about it as well. Yeah. Because especially for fans in the stadium, they all they know is that there is a check going on and it's either... X decision or Y decision. And even on the TV, for example, you have the, the commentators are discussing what, what is going on, what could potentially be going on. But it's like in rugby, for example, we can hear exactly how the referees are communicating with each other. We know exactly what they're talking about. We know exactly how they come to these decisions. I think that's something that would perhaps give fans a bit more of an insight or a little bit more empathy or a bit more of an understanding as to how referees are coming to these decisions. Even if they don't agree with them, I feel like they'll be... Um, it would just be useful to know how these decisions are being made. I, <laughs> I get that bit, but I still imagine how would how would someone have let the VAR team know that they haven't drawn the lines? Like, imagine if you're listening to the ref and he's like, "Yeah, did you draw the lines this time? Show me your workings." It's like it's like when you get the answer in in maths in school, and they're like, "Oh, but show me your workings," and you just completely guessed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I honestly don't have an explanation as to how that didn't happen. Maybe, 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 maybe they were looking into something else. And... But they were, they were looking at quite a few flicks and headers in in the build up to the Brentford equaliser. You mentioned that's what we're talking about. Mm. But I just, I don't know. Surely there's like a checklist of things to do. I yeah, and and there probably is, and I think that's just the fundamental problem. It's just that everybody makes mistakes, even top world class level officials, which mm. they are. And I, I feel like it is quite harsh sometimes saying that the Premier League have the worst officials in the world. They probably have the best officials in the world, we're being completely honest. The amount of money that goes into it and how professionally trained they are, and it, it is mm. their full-time profession. And I think that it is slightly disrespectful when people say that we have the, the worst quality of officials in the world because they occasionally make mistakes. It, it's one of those things in life where everybody makes mistakes, mm. even if you are a VR, even if you have multiple angles of it, it just happens. And I think the problem is people just have um, less, are less willing to empathise yeah. with people um, but hey, Jacob, you're yeah. a rare breed of nice and understanding football fan. I try to be. I try <laughs> to be. They're, they're just people at the end of the day. Referees are people. Footballers are people. I think we should try and treat them that way as well, even though it's not it's not that much fun. And sometimes, you know. as I found out earlier this week, sometimes referees are politicians, too. There you go. We were talking about Douglas Ross, yeah, and a rather unsavoury banner that the Celtic <laughs> yeah. fans unveiled. But I mean, hey, if you're unsavory. a politician and you are also a linesman, you really are just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> that is, that's what we're saying. I can't believe someone's gone, I'm a politician. And if I don't get enough abuse, I'm going to be a lino as well. Or the yeah. other way around. I just... In a weird way, I do respect it to a certain extent. Like the amount of stick that that man must be able to take is astonishing. But he must be thick-skinned. You must be thick-skinned to do either of those jobs on their own. They probably complement each other very well. <laughs> you know, 
Like, fair play to him, but yeah, Politician I Politician mean, and linesman. Yeah. Honestly, if anyone if anyone knows of a more ridiculous duo that a, a referee or a linesman does, please tweet us. Tweet us at, at OneFootball uh, or the email address is podcast1football.com because that is astonishing. Yeah, but it's, it's like the equivalent of seeing Keir Starmer, Rishi Sunak running the line <laughs> in the Prem. It's mad. <laughs> I could, that is, well, I could not imagine that. Um, so the, after that one all draw, um, it leaves uh, Manchester City, sorry, three points behind Arsenal because they beat Aston Villa. And of course, they face each other on Wednesday night. Uh, Arsenal have a game in hand. Um, so even if Manchester City win, Arsenal still have a game in hand. But if Manchester City win at the Emirates, they will be level on points. Let's get the first prediction of today's episode. The rest will be about the Champions League. But what about this for a Premier League prediction, Arsenal-Man City on Wednesday night? I have a feeling that Manchester City are going to do Arsenal. Um, I think Arsenal in the last few weeks has been sort of stuttering slightly. They don't really, they don't really have as much momentum. Um, Without a win in three now. There you go. Um, and I think that you, you could say that they were unlucky in a few of those, but that's the thing. Momentum really does count at this stage of the season. I think Manchester City seem to be slowly gathering pace. Um, and after the... Um, the, the controversy around the um, their financial situation. I feel like they feel like they've got something to prove and I feel like they're, they can sort of sense blood in a sense. Um, and it's it's going to be such a tight game. It, it's not going to be, I don't think, a convincing win for either side, but I think Manchester City might just pip Arsenal. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd say 1-0. I'm going 1-0 yeah. Man City. I think, I feel like there comes a point where, as, as, as crazy as it sounds, because you can't, you can't physically see it, but there comes a point in the season where experience and know-how sort of kicks in. And Man City are like, right, this is the point of the season where we're capable of putting 13, 14 wins together you know, in a row. And I, yeah, just City have that in them. Guardiola's team squad have that in them. And, it, and, and if anything was to really kickstart it, obviously after that win against Aston Villa, and kickstart the belief and, you know, get the wheels moving in this unstoppable machine, it would be a win at Arsenal. Absolutely. Uh, and is, I think yeah. in, in contrast to that, you could also argue that if, if any team... Arsenal are an incredibly, incredibly young team. And even though they have got um, experience of winning leagues with the likes of Sinchenko, um, Arteta has come from multiple title-winning yeah. uh, teams at Manchester City. You do feel like there is potentially a slight naivety or a slight inexperience and at this stage of the season little knocks like drawing against Brentford and feeling hard done mm. by mentally you wonder whether or not Arsenal are there at this stage I've no doubt that next season maybe the season after that they'll be able to put up a real title fight but at this stage you do just think that Manchester City probably have the edge over them but we'll see you never know maybe I'll, I'll be thinking completely differently if they steamroll City 3-0 tomorrow Ex right? exactly we, we'll look absolutely ridiculous towards the end of the week on the next <laughs> podcast um, we'll move on though to the final of the weekend's Premier League games because it, it means a lot for this midweek as well in the Champions League and it was Spurs who went from a fully fit squad in the win versus Manchester City to seven days later having four players out long term um, and being you know absolutely hammered 4-1 against Leicester Jacob, is there anything more Spurs than that? No. Um, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. It is the, the most Spurs thing I've ever seen. And it's, if there is a team that is more consistently inconsistent in the league other than Spurs, you, I have no idea who that could be because it, it, I mean, it's farcical at this point. I really yeah. do feel sorry for you guys sometimes. I mean, it's, I mean, from going and beating City the week before 1-0 and then losing to Leicester in the way that you did by, by four goals to one, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, you don't know really where to start. It's it's, it's comical. Comical. I think the, the worst thing about it for me was that two of the goals were exactly the same. Mm. Oh my word! I think it was the um, Ian Acho's goal and the fourth goal as well. I believe mm. just standing off the man. It was it was a shocking performance by all accounts, and it really doesn't help um, the rumors surrounding Antonio Conte about not signing a new deal. It's up in the summer. If he's not interested in signing long term. What's the benefit of him staying now or Spurs keeping him? I think potentially it buys you time to sound out options for next season, potentially. I'm not sure whether or not bringing in a new manager halfway through the season or just having a caretaker manager would essentially... I mean, what would the benefit be of, of losing him? If, if there's nobody lined up, then mm. at this point, it's going to just sort of, I think, just... Uh, that's, contribute that's... to a certain level of disruption. And I think yeah, at this true. point, maybe you could just... Keep him until the end of the season, sound out options for next season, and just have a clean cut in the uh, in the summer, rather than disrupting things too much halfway through the season. Because you're in a good place, like you're you're very you're close to the top four. I mean, again, consistency is a problem, but yeah. you're not far off. Champions League and FA Cup still still involved. There you go. Slightly more difficult winning the Champions League or winning anything, I suppose. Uh, I, I think the problem that Tottenham have is that the Conte extension seems to be, or certainly the managerial future, whether it's Conte or whether it's not, seems to be linked to Harry Kane signing a new contract. And that is where all the complications come in. Because if it's not Conte signing a new deal, Kane needs reassurances over, over who it is going to be. Mm. on why things would be different. And there's talk of Pochettino coming back to Tottenham, but is that a bit of a step backwards for Kane? You know, he's done the Pochettino era. He was there for all of it. Um, so I think there's that's the difficulty behind it. But you're right. If there's no one sort of to come in to replace, to replace Conte, it doesn't make sense. But it also doesn't make sense to keep someone who's going to leave. And the football... The football, I'll be honest, is not a joy to watch. Uh, is not a joy to watch. And of course, Spurs have so many players out as well. Uh, mm. But before we get on to their Champions League campaign, very quickly on James Madison, who was brilliant, as was Ian Acho against, um, against Spurs for Leicester. Uh, do you see Madison staying? There was a lot of talk about Newcastle being interested in him, although they have spent being on Anthony Gordon now. Um, is, is Madison ready for like a step up to the top four? I think he's ready, personally. Um, I think that, I'm, I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm... I'm Quite surprised that he has been at Leicester for so long. I mean, you could argue a few seasons ago that Leicester's performances, I mean, they're in Europe for a little while. They were sort of flirting with top six, top four finishes, mm. but always sort of falling just short. I get the sense with Leicester that maybe things are starting to plateau a bit. And I think that now is probably the time for James Madison to move on to bigger and better things if that's what he's looking for. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know he is their club captain. I know that he does mean a lot to Leicester and Leicester mm. means a lot to him. But I think for his own progression, I could very well understand if he wants to leave at the end of this of the season. Um, right. We'll move on to the Champions League then this week because it is back after what seems like forever. Uh, it was the beginning of November, I believe, was the last group stage. Yeah. Obviously, because of the World Cup, a longer break than normal. So we'll start actually with Spurs. Um, and how they're going to get on at AC Milan without a midfield. I say without a midfield, but it looks like Oliver Skip and Papessar are going to start for Spurs at the San Siro, um, 20 and 22 years old. Uh, I realised that um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic isn't in the AC Milan squad, but if he was, he'd be as old as Sar and Skip combined. Wow. Which is, which is absolutely mental. Um, so Benton Core out for the season, Hoybier suspended. Um, Basuma out for about eight weeks. He also got Session on injury for quite a while. Hugo Lloris as well. Are Spurs going to be able to cope with their sort of slightly more inexperienced lineup? 
Um, I'm not sure. I think kind of coming into this game, it's been like um, a competition as to who's in the worst position going into this game, to be honest. I mean, like we said, Spurs are sort of consistently inconsistent mm. and have a, a route of injuries going into this game. But also AC Milan do have problems as well. Yeah, they've got multiple true. players out. They've been, since the restart, they've been not in great form. Um, but... I mean, when it comes to experience in the Champions League, Skip's never started a Champions League game, if I'm not mistaken. And he's made a few appearances, but they come mm. off the bench. And I kind of get the impression that Antonio Conte doesn't quite trust him yet, which I think is fair enough. He's pretty inexperienced. And as well as that, Saar, again, 22 years old. It's, this, it's such a big game to be mm. to be trusted with. Um, how do you see it from your perspective? Because again, like like you say, I mean, it's it's the only midfield you've got, really. You don't he, really have any other options. Saul was trusted in the North London derby um, because there wasn't really anyone else. And he wasn't terrible, but he and to be honest, the whole team didn't have a very good game. Obviously, lost 2-0. Um, the only sort of positive I would take from a Spurs point of view is that AC Milan ship goals. Holy moly, they they ship a lot of goals. Um I think in the all in the whole of January it's been something like 17 or something absolutely crazy Yikes. like that. Um they were on a run of conceding one, then two, then three, then four, then five. So I, I just wow. I think the last seven games they've conceded 16 goals, if I'm not mistaken. So it's it, it's really kind of uh it's the one thing that I guess Harry Kane and the like would maybe be a little bit excited about. But I think defensively, Spurs look so poor and the big European away game, an early goal for the home side could spell trouble. But uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but like it is in every big away game for most sides, as long as you're in it in the second leg, that's fine. Yeah, that's you know, fair enough. Do you, think to, could, do you think it could just be a case of we're going to score one more than you um, over both legs? Uh, I mean... The excitement would be great, but I'm not quite sure if I could deal with it. I'm not quite sure if that's better than a sort of 1-0 and battening down the hatches. But Spurs couldn't batter down the hatches even if they tried, so they might as well go for a score one more than you. Uh, I was talking a bit negatively about it, saying Spurs are going to get hammered. I don't know. I'll go with 2-2. Okay, fair enough. Actually, for this game. Fair play. You? I'd probably just tip AC Milan just because of off the back of this mm. loss against Leicester. Maybe confidence might be not at its peak going into mm. this game. But then again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad result for Spurs. As long as you're within touching distance, I think yeah. it's absolutely fun. Away goals as well, it's not, don't have such great importance anymore. Yeah, so true. I feel like as long as you can stay within touching distance, bring them back to um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think you'd be well in with a chance of going through. Uh, next up, PSG versus Bayern Munich. Definitely the biggest uh, uh, fixture of the week, uh, of the week's games. Massive. So, a lot of bluffing, I think, on, on PSG's part of whether or not Mbappe or Messi are going to start. <laughs> both have been pictured in training, so I would presume um, that both are going to be starting. Like, as we mentioned all the time with PSG, this is what they've been playing for. This is what they've been waiting for since group since match day six of the group stage. Like, they just play for the Champions League every season. This is their biggest game of the year, so they might as well go for it. Um, but do you think Bayern Munich are good enough to win in Paris? Um, I don't think they're good. Of, I mean, they're very capable of winning. Mm. Whether I think they'll win or not is a different thing. I don't think they'll win in Paris, um, but I think they could come away with the draw. Um, and I think, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a funny paradox for for both teams that they're so dominant in their own domestic leagues. Bayern have won ten leagues in a row. PSG have also won a ridiculous mm. amount of leagues in the last decade or so. They've been completely dominant, and the quality of opposition that they come against come up against on a on a week by week basis is 
not the same as in the Champions League. And it's the same with Bayern as well. They're playing against teams who are arguably not world-class, even their challenges, you could say Leipzig, Dortmund, potentially world-class. But I think they're both in a kind of a, a unique problem where they don't come up against uh, quality, quality, quality opposition week in, week out. That when it gets to this stage of the, of the Champions League group stages, that it can take them some time to adjust the level of quality that they're coming up against. But, I mean, I think... Bayern are definitely capable of getting getting something out of the game in Paris, but I think at home, Messi and Mbappe back, I can't, I can't, I can't see Bayern getting too much. I think a point would be great for them. And like Julian Nagelsmann said, I think I think a point would be fantastic. A point, a draw, not losing. Um, I think they could. Um, I think it'd be absolutely fantastic for them. And I think for like Julian Nagelsmann said a couple of weeks ago, I don't believe for a second that Mbappe is not going to play in that game. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that. He definitely called the bluff. Like absolutely. he definitely that feels really cheap from PSG. It's like you can't hide this stuff anymore. There's <laughs> social media, not. there's there's pictures everywhere, there's so much interest in like the biggest teams and players in the world that you can't just it's a valiant effort. Yeah, but... you can't just pull a fast one. Oh, I don't know if he's going to play. It's like, well, you've got 90 club photographers at training who have showed him <laughs> out there, so yeah. you can't hide shit. Yeah, Nogsman called it. Uh, are you going to put a scoreline on it? I say 2-1 to Paris. I feel like that's... Yeah, that's quite a, an obvious scoreline, I think. Yeah, maybe 2-1. Or maybe even one all. Who knows? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm just excited anyway. I, th- I just think there's so many good attacking attacking talent on show, even from a defensive point of view as well. Um, oh, brilliant, brilliant, stunning game! Um, right, moving on to Wednesday night, we've got Chelsea who head to Dortmund. Is it a welcome distraction from Premier League football for Graham Potter? They've only won once in the last seven. <laughs> Potter, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I think anything to distract them away from the Premier League would be um, very, very welcome. I think it's, it's one of those games where it's, to a certain extent, cup football again. You can just mm. focus all of your all of your um, resources and efforts into a game against Dortmund. I think Chelsea will fancy their chances against Dortmund. Dortmund have not been fantastic this season. They've been perpetually, I mean, they've just been doing Dortmund things, refusing to challenge for the Bundesliga. Um, and I think they've been relatively inconsistent and unconvincing, to be honest. And even though Chelsea have been exactly that this season, I think they feel like they've probably got something to prove and this is a great stage to be able to to show that on. Um, what do you think for the scoreline in particular? Because part of me thinks that Chelsea aren't really set up to defend. They have so much attacking talent that it'd be weird to see them be like, all right, let's, let's take a one-all back to Stamford Bridge. I could see them sort of going for it. Yeah, I mean, again, I sort of maybe this is just me being optimistic and wanting to see goals, but I can see this one also being a sort of uh, we'll score one more than you kind of game. Mm. Dortmund are defensively have had their troubles this season as well. So I think it could just be um, a case of both sides just trying to score more goals than the other team, which sounds obvious, but because they don't really have the confidence in their ability to defend. So I think it could be a relatively high scoring uh, aggregate fixture. I'd go for the first game, maybe 2-2 potentially. I'm going to go 3-2 to Chelsea. I think it's yeah. absolutely, it'll be an absolutely mad game. Mm. It's such a but, which, but which game are you going to watch, though? You're going to watch Dortmund Chelsea, you're going to watch City Arsenal. I was just thinking that. It's such a shame that, obviously, because of the, the, the packed fixture schedule, that a, such a re scheduled fixture like Man City Arsenal is falling on the same night as the Champions League game. God. Ah, I don't know. Tricky, we, tricky. We could do that duo screen thing when you've got one on each. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll find a way. Who says we can't multitask? Uh, finally, we've got Bruges against Benfica. Certainly, 
in the pecking order of what to watch on Wednesday night. No disrespect to Bruges Benfica fans. I think this might be third. Might even be fourth behind Corey. But, it, um, it could be that I don't even watch that anymore. Um, anyone that we should particularly be looking out for this season in this Champions League fixture? Um, I can't lie to you. I've not watched too much of Bruges. I've not mm. watched too much of Benfica. But one thing that I do know is that Benfica are doing very well in the league this year. I yeah. mean, they're, they're top of the league. They're, I think, three points clear. Um, well, maybe not even more than that. They're five points clear. They've won four out of the last five. They're doing very, very yeah. well. And Bruges, not so much. So, I mean, I, I don't have a, a, an insane amount of insight going into this mm. one, but I would assume that Benfica would be going through. Yeah. Yeah, you could do. I mean, the thing is, Bruges is so brilliant defensively. They kept so many clean sheets. Simon Mignolet is technically the best goalkeeper in the Champions League this season. Wow. I do miss Simon. (laughs) Believe that or not, uh, he's been brilliant. And and Bruges certainly um, came out of quite a tough group. I think it was Porto, Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid. They made it through. And and I know Benfica are a very good team. And I, too, would back Benfica to go through. But I think in terms of a progression draw... This one's actually quite nice for Benfica and for Bruges. Mm. I think it's a bit relatively even contest. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not like we've seen in the past, like if Bruges do well to get through and then get hit with a Man City or Real Madrid, you're like, oh, for God's sakes. You know? <laughs> they, could, they could lose five or six, like we've seen you know, City do so many times to other teams. Um, so I think both of them will actually probably fancy their chances in this. Uh, mm. I think Noah Lang's the one to watch out for. Um, for Bruges, definitely. And Ramos, who scored that hat-trick at the World Cup for Portugal up front for Benfica, is definitely definitely the man. Um, what do you think the score's going to be, though? Uh, it could be pretty tight. I mean, mm. first leg, I think that, I think over the course of the two legs, there'll probably only be one goal in it. I'd say first leg, both teams won't want to go behind. 1-1, I think. Yeah, I would... Oof, I'd say 0-0. Yeah. That's probably... That's me tipping like a terribly boring... Champions League game. Um, <laughs> but I just think knowing that Bruges, I think they kept five clean sheets in the group stage. Wow. Um, and so a nil-nil sort of seems like how they'd approach it. The thing is, if you're in the Champions League last 16, first leg, you don't want to screw it up then to the point where you've got to go bed Fika and get something. I think it's one of those games when they both sense a real opportunity to yeah. get into the quarters. And it's one of those... It sort of feels like a World Cup game in a sense where it's just at this stage, you just have to go through by hook or by crook. It doesn't matter how yeah. you play. As long as you get through, that's the main thing. I think both teams will probably be kicking themselves if they don't get through to the quarter because they would have really sensed, like you said, coming up against a team like Chelsea or Dortmund, maybe you could probably um, understand we think they might go out. But I think against one of these two sides, they'll mm. both be sort of thinking we got a chance here. And there's no need for Benfica to push for away goals either. Mm. So that's what makes me think both stay in it to the second leg and see what happens. Could be a nil-nil or maybe a better. Who knows? Some exciting Champions League action, which we'll review later on in the week, uh, as well as previewing loads of the Premier League football to come up this weekend. There's a London derby to look forward to. There's also Liverpool-Newcastle and plenty of other action going on around Europe. From us, though, for today, that is all. Thank you so much, Jacob, for joining me today's podcast um of course if you want to get involved with anything that we've discussed or leave your predictions as well you can tweet us at one football or matt underscore frolic um, or you can email us the email is podcast at onefootball.com. that's all from us for today though thanks for listening and we'll see you next time